All right. Welcome everybody to Friday Night Live. I'm here actually by myself tonight, um, waiting for my co-hosts. Uh, maybe one of them will show up. Uh, maybe not. We'll see if I'm lucky. We'll see. And uh, tonight, um, I think Hector Garcia is on a date with his wife, which is awesome. Um, and Andrew Wall should be joining, but not sure when. So you're not going to hear the theme music yet, uh, mainly because I forgot how to play it. But that's okay. No problem there. And tonight I'm going to be talking about um, uh, what's on my mind today. And so the, um, <coughs> sorry, I, I spent the first, um, the better part of, of January fighting the flu. If you've known the flu has been going around and I wasn't unfortunate enough to get it um, first in my family. I'm the idiot that did not get a flu shot um, I'm an idiot that did not get a flu shot on uh, uh, last fall, October, but the rest of my family did. So we all got the flu and uh, I got the flu and it lasted for a while. It lasted for a good while. Um, but uh, fortunately, my family got the flu and they were able to get through that flu very, very quickly. Um, well, a, a few days compared to what I had to deal with. So, um, so that was really, 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 really great. And, uh, anyways, that was, uh, that's what I had to deal with in regards to the flu got through that and happy to be alive. And so, um, tonight I'm going to talk about maybe stuff on my mind until, until maybe some, ho some of the hosts, um, join, uh, and, and we get on and I'm hoping that this will be an entertaining show. So one of the things that, um, I, um, had been working on the latter part of 2019 was my personal branding. And so I'm actually going to put it in the comments. Um, if you go to my new personal branding website, www.michaelee.co, I'll put that right there. I'd love your, um, your thoughts, your initial impressions about the website. Um, and I want to talk about this whole idea of personal branding in general. So I know that those of you who follow, you know, characters like us here on, on Friday Night Live, um, but also those of you who are on Instagram or follow influencers, um, this seems to be the age of personalities. Um, it seems to be that um, people are becoming brands. People themselves are becoming branded or brands, and they uh, have an opportunity to use their voice because of technology, because of social media to get a message out. And um, those of us in the accounting industry, um, you, we seem to be, we have kind of two spectrums. The one spectrum of what I would call influencers are the self-made influencers or the self-proclaimed influencers. These are the people that, um, you know, most of us would, uh, I, 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 maybe lack of a better term, detest. We uh, don't find the, those kind of people credible. Um, they are self-proclaimed. So they are trying to become influencers or thought leaders in the accounting space or the space we're in, which is this cloud accounting space. And they're doing that primarily through content creation on social media. So I know we can name names. I'm not going to name specific names. 
on this episode, but I know we all know the names. We've seen the ads of the accounting coaches, the the accounting influencers, the quote unquote self-proclaimed thought leaders in the accounting space. And so I call these the self-proclaimed influencers or thought leaders. They're not real. They really don't have the experience or background to actually be thought leaders or influencers or coaches or trainers or anything in our space, but they position themselves that way on social media. They get a huge amount of following and um, it it increases their voices. And because um, social media is a feedback loop mechanism, the more followers you get, the more people that like your posts or watch your posts, whether or not they're actually in their industry, um, it elevates their voice, brings it to the top. So there's many people who have been able to do that um, and so that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum um, in this whole personal branding realm or influencer realm are the people who actually have earned their stripes um, through their experience in this industry. And we know who those people are. They have created solid content. They speak at the industry conferences. They are well-respected. And uh, Everyone in the industry generally knows who they are. They are the ones actually moving the needle on the industry. So I think of my uh, one of my co-hosts, Hector Garcia. He didn't ask me to talk about him. I'll talk about him. Hector Garcia, we all know, creates some of the best content on YouTube in regards to QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Desktop, accounting innovation that any of us have seen. And if you've gone to any of his uh, workshops or his talks at conferences, the amount of value you get from Hector Garcia is so high that if he was the only one talking at the conferences he's speaking at, it'd be way worth the money. That's the amount of value you get. So when talking about somebody like Hector, whose influence was not self-proclaimed or self-aggrandized through social media, but was actually through rich, valuable content. Those are the kinds of um, that's the other side of the spectrum are, are the people who are actually creating real content, um, real uh, information and have the chops in the industry that makes uh, them worth following. Okay. So those are the two sides. And, and then I think there's everybody else in the middle where there's those of us and I, I'm going to put myself there <laughs> where we're, we're, we're kind of, uh, uh, we, we kind of are, um, we have a hard time trying to, um, you know, project ourselves on social media, talk about ourselves in the spotlight, and uh, and we we are a little like afraid or scared or anxious about wanting to uh, wanting to uh, come off as self-aggrandizing or self you know self-promoting. And so, in terms of, especially of those of us who are introverts or maybe introverts in accounting, we don't want to do that. We, we are totally taken against that. We don't want to be that side I'm talking about that's this self-reclaimed influencer. But maybe we also, you know, we're not at skilled at the highest realm of content or haven't disciplined ourselves at creating the highest form of content, which I think if I were to put somebody at that highest form, Hector Garcia really is that highest form. He's a skilled master at that content, video-wise, social media-wise. So he's in this other end. So maybe we feel like that's also not attainable. But there's of us in the middle. And I put myself there where 
I, I, I have focused the past four and a half years, like many of you, um, fairly new to the QuickBooks online space and to the ecosystem. And four and a half years ago, I started in this realm with my firm reconciled in attending QuickBooks online. And so after kind of those handful of years, um, even a number of years into it, you, you quickly realize, one, if you do the hard work and you work with enough clients, you've quickly become fairly uh, adapt, adapt at the space and also, uh, and also an expert in many ways in, in many areas. And I feel like I felt like after, um, you know, four, uh, after four and a half years of running reconciled and growing this cloud firm, that's now continuing to grow. And it's kind of this engine that's growing on its own and now dabbling, starting to dabble in the app ecosystem, as well as in other ventures. I wanted to start sharing, um, sharing the things that I've been learning. Um, and I was encouraged by other people to do so because they found value in that. And so I've got opportunities to speak at QuickBooks Online. I've gotten to, um, I've gotten opportunities to coach, um, get to do paid coaching for a few handful of select clients and not been very, not made that very public anywhere on any websites or anything. And now I'm wanting to start and do more and more of that because I found, I find a lot of satisfaction in the fact that the, inf the things that I've learned in business and in life have benefited other people and continue to benefit other people. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I can still consider myself very much a learner, a novice at this, but if there's anything I can do to provide insight to people from what I've learned, building reconciled and building the other organizations that I'm leading or have started, then I want to provide that information um, as best I can and impact the people that I can in a positive way. So for me, 2020 is, uh, is going to be about trying my best in not a, a self-promoting way. <laughs> How do you, you know, not in the uber self-promoting way. How do you do that without being self-promoting? You have to promote yourself, but in that the most humble way possible, um, trying to share on a daily basis online, which has been encouraging me. And then as well as through the website that was, that I worked with a local, um, a local consultant to build, uh, I'm going to try to share the different insights that I've gained over the past four and a half years. Um, and I know we do that in, in this forum um, on Friday night live on a weekly basis. Um, <clears throat> but I, um, I also wanted to do that in not just to the accounting space, but to the general kind of entrepreneurship audience, entrepreneur audience. And so that's what I'm trying to do with michaellee.co. So I'd love your thoughts, michaellee.co. If you could go there, give me your feedback. I want your honest feedback. Should I change up the picture? Should I make the picture smaller? Is the text wrong? I got some feedback from a group I'm in, um, um, the accounting salon, and they were great with some feedback on just some misspellings and things and what they think I should be doing. And so I'd love your feedback, you guys, you guys who listen and watch the show and listen to the show. I'd love your feedback because I really value it. Um, and I know that all of you who watch you guys are the kind of people that love to give back. And um, I'm asking you to help me. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to learn and grow. So um, one, of the, one of the things that I'm wanting to expand on tonight, one of the things that I've been, I've been thinking about, been learning about, um, and, and one of the things that people often ask me about, I actually got this text from somebody. I'm going to, going to share the text I got, uh, I got today uh, and I want to share with you. So... 
Hey, one thing, this is from my friend Cody. One thing I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on is how you decide when it's worth starting a new business and when it's better to just focus on what's in front of you. I know you co-found quite a few new endeavors and I get some ideas pitched to me frequently in my town, but I, I always struggle to know whether I should turn those ideas into businesses or just let them pass and focus on my main business. Feel free to use this as a future talking point for one of your videos if it's easier to answer that way. So thank you, Cody. I did send him a private message about my thoughts at the moment, but I want to share with you kind of a, a, a more elongated or more a longer answer to that question of when do you know you should start a business, um, especially if you already have a business. So let's first start with um, what kind of person are you? We want to start there. What kind of person are you and what kind of business do you want to build? So I always like, I always like starting, um, with the end in mind, right? I always like starting, um, with the end in mind. Um, and, and the end in mind is what are you trying to do? What's your goal with the business? Uh, are you trying to build something that replaces just your job? Are you trying to do a side hustle? Um, are you trying to build something that creates future value and a lifestyle for your, yourself and your family? Are you, which, you know, or are you trying to build something that you can sell? So those are all different things, right? Those are very different things. Um, now, there's a large portion of the population that really are just dabblers. They are creating side hustle hustles. They are, um, they are wanting to just make extra income and that's great. I don't consider that that's a, that's a, that might be in the realm of entrepreneurship, but I don't consider them the same as the pure entrepreneur. I would say that's somebody who has a side hustle, has a gig, has a side job. Somebody, you know, think of somebody who drives Uber or drives Lyft, um, or is doing taxes at night on the side, or maybe is doing bookkeeping for some friends. Those are side hustle, side jobs. And those are great. Those are awesome. None, and none of these, none of these categories I'm talking about are specifically better than the other. I'm just wanting to answer the question about how do you know if you should start another business? You guys start back with what kind of person or what are you trying to do? Okay. So starting with that, uh, what are you trying to do? So there's people who are side hustle. So there's a huge amount of people in that, and they're going to fall into that. So that's one category, the side hustle, the person trying to just make income. Um, so the, the, the second category is the person who is trying to completely replace their income, and they're wanting to be a what we would call a solopreneur, a consultant, a 1099 contractor, somebody who's like, look, I don't want a full-time job. I want a full-time gig. I want to replace my job with income and I want to be my own person in that. And there's a variety of ways to do that. There's, you know, like you said, you could just drive for Uber full time. You could, uh, you could try to sell products on Amazon, drop ship them. You could uh, become a consultant in your area of field and just consult other people on how to, um, how to do what you do. Um, you can consult back to the industry that you came out of when you worked a full-time job. Uh, so there's multiple ways to do that. 
And hey, we just got Andrew on. And uh, Andrew, you're muted right now, just so you know. But Andrew, you're on. So, and uh, so there's that second category is, is replacing your full time income. And so, Andrew, I'm talking about when do you when do you know to start a business or start a new business? <clears throat> and I'm stepping back on that question of what is your ultimate goal? Okay. And right now, there's I'm outlining four types of businesses, four types of paths. The first path is the side hustle, right? We've all done side hustles, yep. right? The second path is I want to replace my job. I actually want to leave my job and I want a full-time solopreneur kind of thing as a contractor, as an Uber driver, as something, okay? Right. Um, as a full-time consultant. So, and the th and a lot of us have done that where we just been on our own, done something, some skill that provided us full-time income and replaced our our need to work a full-time job, okay? Right. The third one is a lifestyle business. So you actually want to have a business, but the goal of the business is not just job and income replacement. It's actually to fund a lifestyle for yourself and your family. So most of those businesses tend to be very small privately held businesses with a few employees, maybe even a, a dozen max, and the goal is to fund the owner's life and the family of the owner. Right. And you often find, and you probably consult a lot of these kinds of businesses where they're funneling through as much of their life through the business. Yeah, I want to hear, hear your perspective on that because you probably consult a lot of people on this stuff. Um, th th this, this third aspect, which I would argue is, is <coughs> a large majority of companies in Canada and the U.S., mm -hmm. Give and me your perspective on that, like that kind of business, that lifestyle, but the business that has employees and employees families, but it's not a business where your goal is to sell it. Yeah. It's, its goal is to fund and create wealth for yourself and maybe your family and maybe generations later. But its ultimate goal is not like I'm growing this to sell and to leave and to extract an event. Right. Tell, tell me about that. Tell me your perspective on that because I know you you have – definitely a lot of idea, uh, thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, and we serve probably about six or 700 clients like that each year. Um, so definitely very familiar with it. Um, they, they are looking at it as an alternative to a full-time job. And, and I think that the, it's, it's an industry that's growing every year because fewer and fewer people have any interest in sitting behind a cubicle um, and dealing with the traditional rat races. And now with technology enabling people to do more traditional jobs from virtually anywhere, being able to mm -hmm. live in an RV, if, you, if that's your cup of tea, um, you know, live part of the year in another country, whatever the case might be. Um, so I think that that, that is a really um, amazing opportunity um, right now, more so than it's ever been before, because it's it's so much easier to create those type of, of businesses, whether that's a, a business where you're doing consulting and there's more opportunities now, whether that's going through things like uh, Fiverr or Odesk um, and being able to literally um, go from, from zero to enough to support your family um, almost immediately just by leveraging the existing tools that are out there. And I think that the you know, I guess the objectives for, for those people are very different than someone who's trying to build a business um, for the purposes of, of selling it. 
and trying to grow it. And they obviously, one of the, the big fundamental difference um, is, is obviously positive cash flow is, is a lot more critical there. Um, so you can see if you're building a business to sell or to grow, you were probably funneling all your profits back into the business to continue to grow it. Right. Whereas when you have a lifestyle business, you need a certain uh, profit margin in right. order to maintain your life. Your goal is to maximize profit so you can extract that cash for your life, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, um, and then, of course, there's, there's also a whole bunch of tax advantages here in Canada for that. Um, because for, let me give you an example. In Ontario, the personal tax rate is the highest personal tax rate, which is over $220,000. Uh, which is high, but anyone over $220,000 is paying 54%, more than 54% in, in personal taxes. Wow. The small business tax rate, if you're self-employed, is 12.5%. What? It's yeah. that drastically different? It's that drastically different. Um, so so the, the system is encouraging you to become a lifestyle entrepreneur in that sense. Absolutely. They, they want you to be. Yes. They, the, wow. The way our, our tax system is structured is to encourage entrepreneurship. Wow. And in addition to those tax benefits, there's a whole bunch of uh, other incentives that you can look at, um, you know, everything from, you know, shred, which is probably a bit more for the, those traditional businesses, which is scientific reg yeah. research. And anyways, there's a whole bunch of different grants. <coughs> That's one of the more for bigger businesses, but there's also, um, you know, the, um, Forgetting what the, there's a federal job or Canada job grant is another one where you can get um, funding for training. Um, and, and so there's so many more tools and resources you can get. If you want to hire people, um, yeah. a whole bunch of programs in place to enable that and to foster small businesses, because we rightly so perceive small businesses to be the life, uh, the lifeblood of the Canadian economy. Yeah. Uh, and so we've built in incentives to do that. Uh, so I think that that's, you know, unfortunately, the U.S. government, you know, particularly you look at what's going on in California, seems to be veering away. away. Yeah, we do not want to encourage you to start a business. <laughs> it's crazy. Because it's so good for the economy. Yes. What, what do these people do with, with, with the profits? Right. Like, like you said, it's, it's to fund a lifestyle. Right. So where, where is that, where's that money going? Right. It's going to local restaurants. It's going to vacations. It's going to consume discretionary spend, it's which going is right back into the economy. economy. Yeah. And, and there are, I, and unfortunately I'm, I'm, I can't think. That's of okay. So, right yeah. Yeah. That's okay. And, and I know whatever you're fixing, I'll, I'll keep going. So, okay. So that's the lifestyle business. The lifestyle business is a kind of business where, you know, it's the, in this the third category. It's not just I want to. I want it's something that replaces my job. It's I want something that funds a lifestyle, right? A so in in many ways, a contractor who replaces their in job, their salary, their job income, is no different than somebody who works at a com company. The only difference is that they they control their job, and um, they basically made a job for themselves, right? Yep. Whereas a lifestyle business owner says, I have employees, they do work, I'm involved in the business, or maybe family members involved in business, but we're going to extract as much profit from this business, and we're going to grow it to a certain level 
where as long as the level provides enough profit to fund the lifestyle I want, once I get there, I'm not going to think about fast growth. I'm not going to think about dominating the industry. I just want the steady, healthy revenue and profit to go through. And as long as it does that, yeah. And I will only grow it if it means I get more profit because I need something else in my lifestyle, right? I want nicer cars, nicer homes, whatever it is. That's the lifestyle. And they tend to be high, highly profitable, high in cash, you know, high cash cow businesses, um, but not a lot of growth, okay, yeah. t- generally. So then you have this fourth category. And the fourth category is where I think the entrepreneur is in category three, but I would, I would argue most people in that category consider themselves or call themselves small business owners. Category four is the entrepreneur realm. The entrepreneur, it, their job, their, they, their goal is to build a business that eventually has an exit event or some kind of event where they can extract the value they put into the business that they've sacrificed by pushing the profits into the business for growth. Mm-hmm. So generally, that's why you see these companies running at break even or even at negative, at negative income for a while because yep. they're funding growth trajectory because yep. they know at the end of that period, there's going to be an event that's going to create a lot of wealth for them. Yep. And the entrepreneur, generally, the, the entrepreneurs I meet, they're not in it for a short-term wealth creation or lifestyle. They're in it for a few things. One is the game itself of doing that is fun. Mm-hmm. So if you're that kind of person, you're an entrepreneur, yep. they, they see a, a problem or a, in the world they want to solve and they want to tackle that problem with a product or service that they're passionate about. And third, whether or not they get to the end of that great exit is kind of the, they know they want to get there, but it's not the primary reason they're doing it. Um, and the, the most successful entrepreneurs I talk to and I meet and I work with, they are, they are generally not thinking about short-term cash. They're not thinking about funding a lifestyle. They're thinking about growing this enterprise for this event to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and then you could argue, I guess, a fifth category could be public companies, but generally those, are, those exist because some oh. entrepreneur grew a company and their exit event was become public, and now they're extracted, right? But generally, a public company just doesn't ex- come out of nowhere and exist. Somebody had a goal of getting it as an exit event. So what are your thoughts about that, ca- that entrepreneur category? Um, and generally, a lot of times, you'll meet entrepreneurs who they're starting, they're serial. They're truly entrepreneurs when they're serial entrepreneurs. They're building multiple companies after the first one fails or succeeds. They start the next one, and they start the next one. And they generally can never go back to a job. Yeah. So what, what, do you, what are your thoughts about that category? So you know, to me, in, yeah. that category is this, I'll, I'm going to call it the startup category. Yeah. I was at a startup event and someone asked me, well, we're trying to define what is a startup. And mm-hmm. I think what you break out those other types of businesses, those lifestyle businesses, uh, those salary replacement businesses, and you focus on these businesses that are trying to basically have an exit at some point. That to me is is almost the definition of what a startup business is. And again, I think that, um, you know, we're now in, in an era where 
more people are, are learning more about lifetime value, um, customer acquisition cost, um, and, and figuring out that formula. Um, and that's what it really is for, for companies like that is if you, if you figure out and master that formula, i.e. customer acquisition cost is lower than lifetime value, then you can just yes. funneling as much money into it as you can get. And then when you grow it, you'll typically be valued at some multiple um, of, of earnings, uh, even though, I mean, that's fictitious, uh, you know, but, you know, particularly in, in certain areas like tech and startup where there's literally absolutely no profits, but you're getting these massive, massive valuations um, because of, it could be projected revenue um, because they're saying, okay, now that you've got, like you've demonstrated that you can acquire clients and when you pull that marketing cost out, we can see what the profit is hmm. uh, without those those costs. So sort of a equalization <coughs> process. And, and I think you're you're right about the serial entrepreneur. Um, and, and we see it over and over again in the startup communities, the people who are successful. I mean, look at, uh, you know, perfect example would be the Jamies from HubDoc. Right? Yes, yes, yes. They're, yes. they're the definition. Because the people who figure it out and the people who, who know how to run that formula and who can actually execute, um, once they get that exit, they're like, well, what am I going to do? I need to do something <laughs> else. <They're, laughs> right. Or, yeah, or in the, in the, the classic example too, the big famous example is the PayPal mafia. They call it the PayPal mafia, right? Yeah. It's Reed Hoffman, Elon Musk, all these guys, in, um, Jack Dorsey, who after PayPal, which was a huge success for them, um, they all took their earnings and they said, let's go start some more companies, right? And so you have, you know, you have the start of LinkedIn, you have Square, Twitter, uh, you have uh, Tesla, uh, like you have all these different com <coughs> companies that have come out of this group of entrepreneurs, each of them, I don't know how the magic happened that they actually all worked at the same company called PayPal, but then they come out and they just blow the, the world with these world changing social altering social community altering businesses and guarantee you they didn't have to work after PayPal. No. They had enough money to live the rest of their life, to do whatever they wanted. So they're obviously not in it for money. But the personality it takes to, to achieve yeah. that goal would never, ever be content sitting on a beach. Yes, right? exactly. Or just golfing for the rest of their life or collecting exactly. seashells on the beach. Right? Exactly. Like they want to change the world. Yeah. And, and, that's, and, and that's, I would call them like, that's almost like, now I wouldn't, I would say a lot of entrepreneurs want to change the world, but I would say that that's a special breed of entrepreneurs yeah. Like that, that hit success, seemed to hit success many times at large, large scale, you yeah. know? Um, well, and I've seen it at smaller scales too, where people hit successes and they grow and they grow. But I think the other thing is the, the one thing about that area is if you spend any time in the startup space, you quickly learn that everyone thinks they're the next Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and very few of them are. Like, I think the like if yes. you look at the probability of success, it's you, pretty small. It's you're probably small. better off playing the lottery in some. <laughs> like, if you actually check the yeah. odds of the number of businesses yeah. that fail versus, or or most yeah, and, and the amount of entrepreneurs that fail. Like, most I tell people if you're going to go into entrepreneurship, if you replace your income, you're 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 blessed. If you're able to save money and create wealth, you're additionally blessed. And if you actually have an exit event, 
and don't fail. Like if you actually don't fail, you have an exit event. It's you're, you're like something magical happened, right? Yeah. But the majority, like you said, even the majority of small business owners, the majority of entrepreneurs, they end up not making what they could have made in corporate world by just working a job, climbing the ladder, saving, saving money, putting in 401k, right? Oftentimes they're hoping for an exit event that never materializes. Yeah. And they basically uh, retire no different than maybe an average median income person working a job for 30 years, yeah. right? That's like, that seems to be the normal thing because of how hard it is. Yeah. I think one of my favorite quotes I was told was um, an entrepreneur is someone who works 80 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week. <laughs> That's really awesome. Yeah, exactly. I, I, someone from <laughs> the community told me that one. And I was like, that, that is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So true, right? That is so true. That's absolutely true. So, so you have to decide answering this question, when do you know when to start another business? You have to decide first, what are you trying to do? Okay. So if you're in this realm of entrepreneur, then you're going to be constantly looking for, even when you're running your current business, you're always going to have insight or an eye for what other problems or opportunities are out there to either solve or to launch? What innovation can I get involved with? And then I'd like to say to people, if you've built your business, which entrepreneurs all themselves also have a hard time doing, if you built your business in a way where you built your business to replace yourself, meaning you're not the one running the business all the time, you're not having to be in it, but you have leaders and you've delegated and you've replicated, you've documented your work and other people can do it. You have other leaders that aren't entrepreneurs, but they're leaders that would work for you, then you put, you can put yourself in position as a serial entrepreneur to start multiple businesses if you learn the, the craft of delegating and putting in leadership, putting in operators, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, can't, you can't look at starting a business until your existing business can run on autopilot. Like you'll always be able to come in and add more value and uh, improve it in different ways and, and continue to add value. But if it can't run without you being there, you right. really have no place going out to start another business. Right. And, and frankly, you, you started more something like a lifestyle business. Um, or you basically, you basically started a company that owns you. You start, <laughs> you basically gave yourself a job that you didn't want. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs and I work with a lot of customers that that's where they're stuck. Yeah. They feel like, oh, you know, I started this thing. It creates the, it creates what I want, the lifestyle I want, but I feel stuck in it. Yeah. I can't leave it because if I, if I leave, if I don't show up, nothing happens. I'm like, okay, well, that, that's a, that's a kind of, you, you intent, whether you thought you intentionally built it that way, you did just through the way you operate and the way you're approaching the business and what you're prioritizing. So if you prioritize high profits, well, one way to have high profits is you don't hire the leaders you need to replace you yeah, and you to be as good yourself. as you. Huh? Yeah, exactly. You pay yourself. You value yourself. Yeah. You don't. You and you don't stop to say, "Can I find smarter people that I might need to pay more than I would have paid myself?" But those people can extract value, more value out of the business, and eventually I can pay myself more yeah. money. Um, so that's where you have to start and go. Yes, if if you don't have the engine running. It's hard to get involved in other things um, because if the business you have needs you, it's not going to extract any more value without you. Yeah. So that's another really point. Yeah. What, and I think it's sometimes hard because 
I, I can say for myself, you know, there's always these, these things pulling you back in um, and trying to get your attention. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to constantly fight that. Right. Like, so, I mean, I, and I, it's something I personally struggle with, right. Is, is trying to exit out of being a revenue generator uh, for the firm and, and being reliant on my billable hours. Uh, like I've literally had like a conscious effort. I do not take any new clients and I'm trying to weed out and push out my clients to other staff members. Cause I, we, I have an engine, I have an engine that can yeah. run without me, but I also have clients who want to work with, they want to work they, with, they want Andrew wall. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and not to mention, then you've always got, you know, people coming to you to ask questions. And, and so it's a, it's always a struggle. Yeah. To, to balance that but i think you know if you can build with that end in mind it doesn't have to be like you're not going to go from zero to one no it's it's yeah. a process in getting there and i think when you look at the accounting and, and bookkeeping community probably even bookkeeping more so than than the accounting it's ripe with that pitfall right? yes yes how many people you know how many people in this in this in our community started a bookkeeping career because they maybe had kids or they didn't yeah. want to work a full-time job, but now there it's really is it's, it's a job. Um, but well, it's, they it's, control it. They control the job, control but it's a job. They're stuck in this job now. Right. Yeah. 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 And now they also, in addition to <laughs> doing the work that they do, they got to do sales and they got to do marketing and they've got to do all the other, you know, HR and all the other. Right. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really hard for people to make that, that transition to the first few employees. Yeah, it is. Tell us your story about like your first employee hire. Um, yeah. You did it, how you did it and why you did yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, so when I went to start reconcile, I took the whole summer of 15 and I, I, I was very methodical about planning out when and how to launch reconcile. And at the time I was just a solo consultant. I was, you know, doing part-time CFO work. So I had some income from clients do, that I was consulting for. So I saved up enough money from that consulting to, to say, okay, I have enough money that I think I could, I have a three to six month runway to hire somebody right. full time and, um, and see if I can make reconciled go and get more, get enough clients to replace their, the revenue that I would be paying them. Right. So that was my goal. Right. So I went to somebody that I had, I had trained at my church on the church books. And I just said, Hey, look, I'm starting this business. Uh, I trained you on the church books. You want to leave your full-time job? Uh, I know you're volunteering on the church books, but leave your full-time job. You're going to come do books for these companies that I'm going to go find. I didn't have them to find. I just was that, I think we're going to find them when we yeah. launch reconcile. So that's what it is. So he took a risk on me. I said, I'll match your salary you make right now at your job. Um, when he was a social worker. So fortunately it wasn't super high. It was a, a, about par on a bookkeeper. I said, I'll match that. And I'm going to give you some really interesting work. And while, while you're doing this, you can feel, if you want to get your master's in accounting, you can go do that. I'll support you, you know? So he did that. He quit his job, came to work for me full time. And so that created immediately the hunger in me to go, I need to find clients. You have to. I have to, because this money that I saved to keep him payrolled, to start learning and to start doing some side work for me first on these the CFO clients I had was going to run out. Yeah. So I went after it and I let my network know, let people know. And, and, and that, and then I didn't start talking to the second hire until I got the first hire to about 75% um, full. 
and where I knew if I started checking on new clients, I would have to go on my plate. Right. And I was like, okay, I don't want, I don't want to keep adding to my plate. I wanted my plate to be at 50% or less all the time. Okay. So that's what I always did. I, once I got there, I went, okay, start talking. And one of the rules of thumb I tell people is regardless, if you're ready to hire, always be hiring. Yeah. Yeah. That's the rule. Regardless, if you're ready, always be hiring, meaning always talk to talent because you never know when you're going to meet them. You never know. And even if that talent is employed already, if you meet people out on this, you meet people out in networking, that's whatever, tell them about what you're doing. You meet somebody, he's like, oh, I'm an accountant. I, you know, maybe I consider come working for you someday. Great. Get their card and say, hey, I'd love to talk to you. Talk to any accounting talent you can talk to because someday you might be able to use them at the right exact time. That's what I did. So I just always had job ads out. Even after the first employee, I was interviewing immediately for the second even though I wasn't ready, I knew I wouldn't be ready for three to six months. Yeah. By the end of that year, I had the second employee hired before the end of that year, the first, the 2015. So in a six month period, I went from myself to myself and a full-time bookkeeper to myself and a full-time bookkeeper and then a part-time bookkeeper. And, and I just kept that rhythm going. I kept that part-time bookkeeper eventually became full-time a few months later. I just kept that rhythm going of get them to 75%, hire another one. Yep. and keep the funnel going. And so that's, that, that's what that was, that was what I did. Now, the interesting thing is you talk about full-time and part-time. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's really, I think you made the right decision by starting with a full-time bookkeeper as opposed to a part-time bookkeeper. Yeah. Uh, because I think that the, 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 like I said, it's so easy to be pulled back into your business. And I think the fact that you had hired a full-time person who had, who obviously you had more than like he, he, you probably didn't have enough work to keep them hundred percent. Right. So you have more than enough capacity that you could literally spend your time on doing whatever was yes. necessary to grow the business. Yes. Um, so there was absolutely no constraints on your time. You could literally focus 150% on growing the business. Cause we know as an, as a startup guy, yeah, hundred percent ain't cutting it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that that that's really interesting because I think that there's a lot of, um, People who think, oh, I, I, I just need, you know, I just need someone, I just need enough to, to cover me during the busy season. Maybe mm-hmm. I can get a part-time bookkeeper and get someone to, to, to fill this like buffer and I can still do a lot of the work, but then that never frees them the time to actually get, you know, into the working on the business, that cliche, right. To, to, which is so necessary for, for growth. Um, now, another question for you is like, so you, you got your year one. Yeah. Got someone. Um, who's now doing the work, you've got to find clients. What was your first approach? And what was, sorry, maybe not even necessarily first approach. What was your best approach to getting new business? The best approach was letting all of my network know that I had launched this business. So I shared it on social media. And then I sent an email to everybody that I thought would either be a great candidate for the service or would know somebody that would yeah. be a great candidate for the service. So it, I think as accountants, we have a very hard time sharing and telling the world what we're doing, what we're, you know, what we're about. And that's, that's what I did. And that's, I started getting clients. It, it actually wasn't as hard as I thought. Um, and I started realizing that I enjoyed the sales process, which I never knew I would enjoy. Um, so it just took me being vulnerable and saying to the world, hey, this is what I'm starting. It's different than 
it's different than the CFO work I've been doing. It's not, you're not going to get me. You're going to get this team I'm going to build and this process I'm going to build. And we're going to do this thing called cloud accounting. We're going to do this remote online accounting. I'm not going to come to your office and do it. And people took the risk on us, which was great. And of course, the first few clients were Burlington area clients. But then as we started getting traction, I was, you know, my, my little website that I built for $99 on Weebly on myself was getting found on the internet and people in California. I mean, I remember getting the first client in California, like, how did you find me? They're like <laughs> on Google. Okay. <laughs> like it works, you know, You're um, into a pro advisor site. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, okay. So you just do those little things. I also always recommend get your Google, my business up, right? Yeah. The Google maps up, get your Yelp page up, get your Facebook page. Those are all free. Yeah. And it's funny how many bookkeepers accounts don't even do it. They don't even touch it. Yeah. How many businesses still don't do that basic stuff that is low hanging fruit. And then you get your current and even past clients that have worked with you at previous jobs. You ask them to put testimonials on those Google, my business pages. Yeah. Now, that was a little embarrassing, you know, like I was hesitant, but I said, if this is going to help me grow my business, I'm hungry enough. I'm going to do this. So I would, I would say, can you leave a review on Google or on Yelp? I would really appreciate it. And that helped the SEO, the natural SEO go up a lot faster than if I just waited and waited and waited to get clients, you know? So that, that was, that was the biggest impact was just letting my network know. Yeah. And SEO sounds like it was a big part for you as well. Like, in Oh yeah. Marketing. Yeah. 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 Because I wouldn't have got those, these, there's, these were these first few whale clients, these big ones that are, you know, two, three, 4,000 a month of bookkeeping and some controller, maybe CFO work. They found me online yeah. and, or they found me on LinkedIn or they found, you know, and, and so I remember paying a LinkedIn consultant to take my LinkedIn profile and make it really attractive. Right. Like, like I knew I wasn't gonna be able to do it myself. Yeah. So they did that. And all of a sudden people in DC were finding my LinkedIn profile for CFO work. And I'm like, where have you been? You know, like I've had LinkedIn for years. How did you find me? You know? So there's definitely tips and strategies, but letting the network know and paying for that content and, and marketing help from experts when you know, you're not good at it, just putting, spending a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks knowing you're in return, you're going to get clients from that. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's it. it's, it's that customer acquisition versus lifetime value thing. Yes. Right? And, and there's just as much opportunity for accountants to play that game as well. <coughs> I think the hard part is, you know, it's, it's easy. Well, it's not even that easy, but um, it's easier to recognize when you, when you're not an expert and when to bring someone in. But I find there's so many quote unquote experts out there. When you look into digital marketing, I find it so hard to, to really figure out who's actually got some talent, like, especially having been around this for a while and having some knowledge, um, you know, I'm, I'm so skeptical of agencies right now because, you know, once burnt twice shy, I guess. Um, so do you have any tips for finding good people to help you out with this stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, finding people to help you like with the marketing or, or just like these general things. So one, I, you know, I would, I would go ask your network. Right. So um, I remember getting a referral to the LinkedIn expert um, that I found. Right. So you can go find like in your network on LinkedIn, go who's got a profile that it's really nice. Right. Who seems to have a profile that stands out. Most likely they didn't do that work on their own. They yeah. paid somebody to do it. Right. No one just all of a sudden goes from, crappy LinkedIn profile to amazing 
LinkedIn profile. Okay. Uh, Somebody, (laughs) yeah, they either read a long book and they like do it yourself and did it, but most people don't do that. Right. They pay somebody two, 300 bucks. They find somebody up for, so you ask. Um, So one, it's just ask your network, go on LinkedIn, go on Facebook, go, does anybody know a really great LinkedIn consultant or a Google, my business consultant or a Yelp consultant? I really need some help, you know, or social media consultant. Um, And then the other is, you know, and and then other is just go find pages that you really are attracted to pages, um, Facebook pages, LinkedIn pages, Yelp pages, and then reach out to them and ask, who did you use? Or I'd love to get some, some advice. Can I take you off for coffee or lunch or whatever? Um, And, 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 and can I hire your services? And so I think that's the best way is just your, your, your network um, so that you can get over that hump of trust that yeah. we all have. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's amazing how underutilized I think Yelp is too. Oh, yeah. um, it was, it's funny. It was Bob Wang who really got me into like, we'd always had a Yelp accountant, but really not, not utilize that. And we're still definitely weak on, on our, uh, the number of Yelp reviews we have, mm-hmm. uh, but the amount of traffic that we're driving through Yelp, um, and especially in relation to its cost versus any other platform. Um, and the quality of the leads that are coming through from Yelp are, are astounding as well. It's that's amazing. You should never think of Yelp as a great place no. for accountants. I, you know, I always thought of it as a food place, but yeah, that's all. That's all I thought about it as. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't even really, I, you know, recognize what a valuable tool it is. You know, we were, you know, I think for a long time for us, we were trapped in those, um, that, that Google, uh, those Google days where we, we early on, we'd been really successful with um, SEO and pay-per-click. Um, but as the Google prices for pay-per-click started to, sh- you know, shoot through the roof, it became so much harder to be competitive in those places and mm. danced around with, pretty much every other platform, Facebook and um, LinkedIn and Twitter and, um, you know, uh, even YouTube and everything from organic to paid and stuff like that. And I'd say dollar for dollar, nothing beats Yelp. That's amazing. And, and you happen to be, and I think Yelp too is, in, in, is great in a place where there's a lot of searching going on and you happen to be in Toronto area, right? So a lot of, there's a lot of users searching and Yelp comes up, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think you, you're, you're going to highly benefit from Yelp, um, in, in your region. And, and I think that makes, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you're right. It's not intuitively what I would have thought of either. Like I would never go search for an accountant on Yelp personally, no, neither like, would I. or in, or any kind of trusted, like, I, I don't look for a bank oh, on Yelp or an attorney. Yeah. Yeah. Like a psychologist, a doctor, but people, but yeah, people do, you know, and because because Yelp has become a trusted brand of this is where you find a service or, or a product or a good restaurant or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's really, really great. Well, Andrew, um, how's your January been? Let's before we close this out and you play the amazing uh, music for us. How's your January been so far? And are you gearing up? Are you ramping up for a busy tax season? Uh, yeah, it's been the, the first couple of weeks of January, always uh, a little crazy busy for us because um we, because we deal with a lot of uh, owner-managed businesses and um, they often do top-ups on their salary, we have to do annual tax planning with them. And the deadline for that is is the first couple of weeks of January. So that was a bit of a busy time for us, but um, we made it through there. Um, been working on some really fun and interesting sort of marketing projects. Um, a lot of them are just, um, just starting to hit now. So I'm really excited about 
what uh, what February is going to look like. So I'm really, really stoked. We've been um, doing some analysis on um, the past year and how it's been. Um, you know, it looks like our we upped our close ratio, um, not a ton, but, you know, uh, we improved close ratio by about 8% year over year, which uh, was great. We're um, on track to have total new consultations um, up probably about 15 to 20% this wow. year. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And a lot of that is, is, you know, like putting more money into, into Yelp. Um, so we're doing, we're doing paid on Yelp uh, now and we're pulling some of the budget out from other places. Um, like we're, um, we're still in gonna... most, and most of the work you get through Yelp, is it tax work you're getting? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Cor- corporate tax work. Yeah. Uh, we, we right this time of year, we start to get a lot of people interested in personal tax work, which okay. uh, it's like, not terribly exciting for us we'll, we'll do it um but <laughs> right yeah a te- a, 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 the the personal tax returns are just not as complex or exciting or or valuable in your, in regards to yeah they're not that. as valuable number one yeah. um because they're just simply not as much um revenue um but number two and almost more important than number one is the fact that they all have to be done by april 30th mm-hmm so it just makes it such a highly focused, highly stressed area of business. Um, and I just, I don't enjoy having that, that unnecessary stress at, at that time of year when it's combined for us with, you know, a lot of um, December year ends are coming in around that time, which is our most popular um, year end filing period for, for clients. And, you know, so we'll, we tend to, to avoid it um, unless you're, you know, um, you know, a sole prop that might be growing into a bigger business, uh, or you're an existing cl- corporate client will do your personal taxes. Uh, but um, yeah, I think one of the, the most interesting things that I'm uh, really excited about is um, focusing in on different languages. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. So we're, we're doing that now we've, we've, we've got, we've got a really diverse team. Um, wow. We, we speak a, a, a couple of different languages in the office, but our most predominant language by far was Spanish. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're starting with Spanish. We um, just launched um, uh, literally this week, uh, our um, services in Spanish. Um, wow. So, yeah. We now offer, um, and, and we had uh, two, of, two of our team members went out to um, a, um, a, it was actually a, um, a Latino small business night um, in Toronto and networked. And we literally already have clients coming in. And That's amazing. It launched. This- I didn't know the Spanish speaking community was so large in Toronto. I didn't know that. It's, yeah. I mean, Toronto is, is so large in itself, right? Yeah. Uh, so you think about like they're every culture has to have these little cliques. Um, and, you know, with Toronto, like literally in the millions, right? We don't need to have, um, the whole population of Toronto as clients. Obviously. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> so you can imagine even small groups of, of you know, a thousand, two thousand people. Um, but when you realize that no one is really serving, serving their group, needs. Yeah. You, know, if you, realize, you go, okay, well, hey, there's a tremendous opportunity. We, you know, there's no difference in the level of service. We've got the people here who can speak and communicate in, in the language. You know, there is, um, People would prefer to have that, um, so why not make it available? And also from a from a networking and marketing perspective, 
because it's a smaller community and now I'm not marketing to all of Toronto, uh, my cost of marketing come down substantially because you're more targeted groups. You can do like, so it's sort of like, you know, um, sorry, I apologize. I got all these messages coming through. Um, but you can, uh, yeah, I was thinking, what, where was that beeping from, Andrew? But so you basically, it's like, you know, when you think about swag, right? Mm-hmm. Would you rather buy, you know, a thousand like dollar swag items like pens, or would you rather buy like 50 to 100 really nice high? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, high end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, you know, like if you just look at it that way, you can send the exact same marketing budget. Um, but service a smaller group so much better, okay. give them a much better that makes sense. experience. Yeah. And you'll, you'll often find that when you do that, your close ratios more than higher the fact. Yeah. Then, then yeah. you're dealing with a smaller group. That's great. Yeah, but man. Early days, but, but pretty excited about it. How about, how about yourself? How's, how's your new year starting off? And what well, are you about? good. Once I got past the flu, yeah, I'm doing yeah. fine now. Bit of a cold yeah. Still. yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> you what? It's not the coronavirus, is it? No, 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 not the coronavirus. I'm not. I'm. I have not frequented Wuhan, China, in my <laughs> my recent travels. Um, I uh, it's been going really great, and my team one, um, having the flu proved proved that my team in this business just runs on its own because nothing stops. It just kept going, and I was everything was fine. And Excellent. secondly. I'm, uh, I started this, this show talking about, you know, the person, the personal branding stuff I've been working on and wanting to kind of put my, um, talk more about the things I'm learning more publicly and also bring on more coaching clients and also speaking opportunities. And so that's happening this year. Um, and then I've got, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the app world now. So I'm, I've raised, I closed on some funding before December to build the first app with a bit, a separate, in a separate business that I have. Um, and so we're building an app to help people that measure recurring revenue and are trying to measure CAC and customer acquisition costs and LTV and all these things we're talking about. Not, not this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. CAC. Yeah. So, um, so we're trying to measure, help people measure that in an easier way and pull that data right now out of QuickBooks online more efficiently. So that's what we're currently building right now. It's called Sazable. Uh, you can go check it out on, on the web. Um, and we should have it hopefully launched. How do you spell um, Sazable, just like Saz Able, Saz Able, yeah. With Zeds, right? Huh? With Zeds or S's? No, S, S, Sazable, yeah, 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 S, 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah, but that's it. Well, it's uh, we reached our hour, so uh, Andrew, why don't you take us take it away with uh, the music? Yeah. So once again, I apologize for being late. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I get my schedule right these days. Welcome, 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 welcome. Unicorn, unicorn. <laughs> Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia, and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule: make accounting fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready? Have a good night, Andrew. You too, Mike.